So welcome to this latest episode of All Things The Podcast. So we're joined by a wholesale seller who's done multi-seven figures and he's dropping all of his knowledge bombs and secrets for you in this episode. So sit back, relax and enjoy. Uh, welcome to the latest episode of All Things The Podcast. So I'm here, I'm Ben. Uh, Gage is back from his, his adventures overseas. Hi everyone. And we're joined by Tunde. Hello. Thank you for, for joining us. So uh, if you bought any sports equipment over sort of the lockdown COVID period, chances are you bought it from this man. He's got his fingers in a lot of pies. He, <laughs> uh, he's been, uh, he, he focuses on wholesale. So instead of going to, uh, to retailers to buy things to, to, to resell, he's going directly to the brands uh, to get access to better pricing and uh, buy things in more quantities. So uh, yeah, it's pretty exciting what you've been doing. Yeah, thank you. Good to be here. Yeah, nice one. So before we go into um, all, all the fun stuff and the, the millions of pounds in revenue you've done over the last few years, uh, mm. let's go back to the start. So you're you're one half of a, of a duo along with your, your business partner who unfortunately can't be with us today. But um, yeah, yeah how, how did you guys meet and, and sort of get into this? Oh, we've, we're like, I wouldn't say childhood friends, but we met as sort of late teenagers. Mm-hmm. Um, we worked for the same company, actually. It was like a part-time job where the company organized like club nights for under 18s around London, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, so we met there. He was technically my manager, you could say, um, like one level above me. Um, but then eventually I sort of climbed up and we just became friends from there. So that was probably 20, uh, no, 2010, I would say. Oh, wow, while. that long ago. Yeah, yeah quite a while ago. Mm. That's cool. And then, did, so did you go from the the under eighteen stuff into like proper nightclub promoting at uni and things? Yeah. So we ended up then at the same uni, which wasn't sort of by design. Um, and I think we we moved on from working for a company to starting our own. You could say um, I wouldn't call it a company as such because it's such a casual industry. Mm-hmm. Um, but you basically would approach you know clubs, venues in your area, and say you know, I can help you fill this on your least popular nights, as an example. Um, And you come up with a concept. Um, I think being at uni helps because, you know, you've got friends and friends of friends and you, you know, if you fill it, they basically say, you know, we'll keep the bar money and you can keep the ticket money, Hmm. basically. Um, So yeah, it was was good. And we've done that for probably around two years whilst being at uni. Yeah, that's, that's pretty cool. That sounds really fun. I've always wanted to do like something with events, but it, it, yeah, it, it sounds quite complicated. It's not complicated. It's stressful, you could say. Yeah. Because um, there's that pressure, right? I think the difference between a club with 300 people in it, let's say it can hold 400. The difference between having 300 and having 150 is reputation. Do you know mm. what I mean? It can, If it looks like really sparse um, or sparse, um, you know, you can easily go from the best night out to the worst and and it's and you're done you can be done quite quickly i'd say mm. do you know what i mean so but yes yeah, it's, it's a it's cool when you're young and you want to just sort of make a bit of money i guess yeah well i mean it's, it's a cool thing to be able to do say that you're helping people have, have a good night that they might not otherwise have had so uh, yeah i guess so i guess so a night that they can't remember yeah 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 <laughs> team up with tunde he'll give you a night you'll never remember <laughs> <laughs> that can be um, yeah, the nightclub industry is cool, but I think it got to a point where, you know, you get a bit older and you say, you know, there's more to life than this. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, so. but I've never really been a nightclub person. Even while, even while I was at uni, mm. it was like, so I went to Warwick and we used to go to Lava Ignite in Coventry every single Wednesday. We used to jump on the train from Leamington Spa to Coventry, 
go there, listen to exactly the same soundtrack of songs every mm. single, and it's just like, by the end of my third year, that they were like, oh, my mates were like, oh, I'm going to love, we're going to love, and I was like, I just can't be asked to have the same night that we've yeah. had every every Wednesday for the past two years. And a lot of the DJs they play, they have the same set that they just do. Yeah, it's literally just press play on the playlist, basically. So. Um, but yeah, it's it's one of those things where. I'm not really a nightclub person either, but back then you could basically hack Facebook, not hack literally, but you could use Facebook in quite clever ways to get a lot of people interested in your event. Mm. Um, back in the day when it was like, you know, pages and, and that kind of stuff. And you could basically sit there all day and like add 5,000 people at once. Oh, wow. Um, so I think we just approached it very much like how can we use our marketing skills or marketing knowledge to make nights really popular um, and it's one of those things you know because it would it would also show on the news feed like blah blah um, is going to this event or mm. is attending this event so we just done little clever hacks um, to make sure that everybody knew about our events basically no that that's really cool and I saw Gage's ears perked up as soon as you said the word hack <laughs> <laughs> yeah not like Russian hackers but yeah just like little <laughs> clever you know you could call it like you know marketing skills you could say mm. <coughs> So so then, uh, when did you uh, did you go straight from the uh, the the nightclub stuff onto the the buying and selling things? How, how did that transition occur? Um, I think we got to a point where we started doing like concerts, and you know we could get like small allocations from venues, um, and it was it, we basically had a like a, a very clear sales picture of you know we're students. We know lots of students. We have huge amounts of students on our Facebook pages. Hmm. Um, we can get, you know, 500 or, you know, let's say, let's say 100 people to this event that you've got at the O2 Arena or at Fort Park. We've done a big one at Fort Park. Um, and that's how we sort of started in sort of the buying and selling, you could say. Um, but one thing we've always done is we've never just looked at something as a small opportunity. We've always tried to see, well, if this worked, how can we sort of expand on it and mm. I think that's that sort of helped us well in Amazon mm. so did you think you took that experience of running the events speaking to the companies mm. to you know trying to get those connections with brands no not that not that directly so after uni um me and me and Stephen who who I work with we sort of went our separate ways um he went to study medicine I went to work in recruitment in sales um for my brother's company my brother owns a recruitment business so I think from there, you learn a lot about how to talk to people, how to position yourself, how to put yourself forward as someone who's credible. So I would say more so actually working in sales helped me a lot with now when you're approaching brands, what do you say? You know, not just saying I'm an Amazon seller. What mm. actually are you? What can you offer? Why are you different to, you know, the 10 other people who might have contacted them that week? So I think working in sales um, was definitely probably the the bigger sort of um, differentiator. Yeah, I think that makes sense because, yeah, from what I've seen, I've never, gone <coughs> down the, I've, never, I've never gone down the wholesale route myself. But, um, yeah, from what I've seen, like maybe sort of 10 years ago, mm -hmm. you, you could have just approached them as, yeah, I'm a random guy selling on Amazon. Can I have some of your stuff, please? But now it's a lot more competitive and you need uh, more of a footprint footprint 
across multiple platforms. So, so I think you've got your yeah. You, you, you what surprised me most uh, when, when we first started talking was mm. you you're not just doing really well on Amazon. You're also doing eBay, and you've also got your own Shopify store that, yeah. that generates a lot of traffic. And then obviously, yeah, <laughs> you don't have to pay Amazon or eBay fees. So that's yeah, quite yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, and even if you do have to pay them fees, you're just sort of spreading your your risk because anytime you're over reliant on one platform, it you know mm. it becomes a risk, so to speak. So if you have issues with your Amazon account, where at least you've got you know thirty percent or twenty percent of your sales coming from somewhere else, mm. so you don't shut down completely, you can at least keep things going whilst you then you know work on getting back onto Amazon, as an example. Yeah, absolutely. And and having your own store, like it doesn't, you don't need to be doing any sales through it. It just gives you that credibility. So yeah, if you're talking to a supplier or a brand, and it's like, oh yeah, here's my website. If it looks really professional and good, they don't know if it's doing one sale a week or a thousand exactly. sales a week. <laughs> and, and what we'd find is that a lot of people, there's a lot of savvy sort of shoppers in the UK. And what they would do is once they knew the name of your Amazon store, they'd actually go and Google that mm. just to see maybe some reviews. Or So when they come across your website, so what we would do is we'd always price our store 10% less than the Amazon price mm-hmm. because we're not paying the 15% Amazon fees. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. So... If you went onto our Amazon store and you were going to buy a product anyway, that's £150. If you go onto our website and it's 135 you can see that it's the same business. You just buy it off the website. Mm. you know. And on the website, we'll pay 3% fees versus Amazon's 15%. So it works quite well. Yeah, so the the, the customer thinks they're getting a bargain and you're actually making more we're money. At, yeah, <laughs> we're making slightly more, um, which which is nice. Mm. When, it work, when it works, it, it works quite well. Yeah, no, that's, that, that's brilliant. So, How did you two meet, by the way? <coughs> Sorry, me and Ben? Yeah. Yeah. We met through somebody else who was... So at the time, we were renting a self-storage unit in the Midlands. There was another guy called Ben, wasn't there? There was another guy called Ben who... It's quite a funny place. So what you'd do is every day, sort of the the drivers would come around between sort of 2 to 4 p.m. And um, he might not like me saying this, but we would leave all of our products out for the drivers to come to then ship it to the customers that day. And then we noticed like with a a bit of a lag that he would start to leave out the same products as us. Um, So he was really clever in that he would look at what we were shipping out and then go and get some for himself. So um, initially we were a bit confused, but then we were like, do you know what? If we were his age and, you know, we were uni students, we'd probably do the same. Mm. Um, So we actually, you know, we actually sort of started speaking to him from there. Mm. No, that's awesome. Yeah, so I've been an ATA member and, oh, yeah, cool. and yeah, reached out and uh, was like, oh, I th- it was like, I, I think I've found the insert store name here. Because, yeah. Uh, yeah, but basically if you were if you were selling on Amazon during lockdown and you bought any kind of, yeah, sports equipment type products, you, you would have come across You would have come across store. our store name, yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah. I hated these guys. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely so, hated them. And but what, what's interesting is that, so you guys are doing purely, well, was it purely FBM or did you do some FBA as well? 90, at the time, probably 95% FBM. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so if, if you're not aware, FBA is where you ship everything into Amazon and they fulfill it for you. FBM is where you keep all of the stock on hand and ship it out and do the customer service yourself so so for lazy people like myself and gage we we outsource everything but actually um yeah you you um, the customer service is actually a key thing because Mm -hmm. um didn't you the the loss of return requests you would get that actually you would just fix the problem for the for the customer yeah so we i think a lot of people think that we um 
we were an FBA business. We were predominantly FBM at the time. We do FBA more so now, but that's a different story. Um, and honestly, it wasn't a case of, we didn't actually really know, I wouldn't say what we were doing, but we did, we just were going, we were just, keep, we just sort of got started with FBM. Mm. And we went down this train of, of FBM and we sort of figured out that, okay, if we don't have to sell in, send in advance to Amazon, we can be a lot more dynamic in terms of getting products out to more customers. Um, we didn't have any sort of restock limits or limits on how much we could hold in Amazon's uh, warehouse as well. And I think that was the big thing that separated us at the time from our competitors. Our competitors might take two weeks for their stock to become available. Um, whereas as soon as our products would arrive, we could start selling pretty much immediately. Mm. In a lot of cases we could sell before, and we'd put a restock date on it. Do you know what I mean? So a lot of the time, by the time a product, like, you know, let's say we were ordering 700 units of X product. By the time it's physically arriving in our warehouse or self-storage facility, we might have sold half of that already mm. on with, with a restock date on. So it's just really good for compounding and just making sure that you're never sat on too much stock at once. Um, and then the second benefit of, of being a pure FBM business is um, you don't have to deal with Amazon's return system, yeah. which can be quite unfair, I think, for sellers. Um, because if, if a customer just makes, you know, the minorest of complaints, um, Amazon are quite customer centric. They'll say, you know, here's your money back. Yeah. And you will just receive the notification saying, you know, we've refunded X, Y, Z, and you had no control over mm. that process. Um, a lot of the time, what we found is customers don't actually want their money back. They want their problem fixed. Do you know what I mean? So a lot of the time it could be giving them a spare part for free. It could be giving them a discount. Sometimes it could have a really minor imperfection and it would say, okay, cool. Uh, we acknowledge the imperfection. Apologies for this. How about we give you 20% off what you paid for this product? And most of the time they'll say, yeah, and that's way better for us financially than having to deal with the returns and then, you know, it goes into unfulfillable and all of these other things where it just makes the, the stock go redundant, basically. Mm. I got a, I was at the warehouse yesterday, I opened up one of my returns. It's a toaster, mm -hmm. burnt toast at the bottom of the box. <laughs> wow. I'm not even joking. Yeah. Well, that, that proves that it works, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Maybe it works too well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> No, that's crazy. Um, but but yeah, the so because but these were big old, but most of what you were selling were, were big old items. So the yeah, the FBA fees would have been would have been significant. A lot, yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, with the self storage unit, it makes sense. And yeah, because I'm yeah, I often see my unfulfillable inventory just fill up with stuff, and it's just like oh yeah, customer damage, customer damage, yeah, customer it's damage. Painful. It's like oh, you got. But but yeah, potentially a lot of those going the FBM route would have been been avoidable but 100%. the the downside to FBM in my mind is that you you have to price lower than than FBA to have any chance of sales because obviously if you price at the same price one seller is going to get you it tomorrow because mm -hmm. of fire prime delivery the next one it might be a few days but mm -hmm. the advantage you guys had is that because you've gone straight to the brand to get these items, you, you've bought it at a completely different cost price. So you, you're playing a different sport to the rest of us sort of thing. Because <coughs> we're, we're, we're probably buying from the, the, the places we're buying the same items from. Mm. Uh, we're buying it from suppliers who are paying what you're paying to get them. Yeah. So they're making a margin on us and, and you're just, yeah you're, you're, yeah, you're going straight from the brand 100%. to the I think the ultimately Amazon is about margin. Hmm. Do you know what I mean? And I think you have to find whatever angle works for you to make margin because mm. 
it's very easy, especially when you go on Twitter, um, which is a funny place for Amazon sellers. It's okay. very easy to get caught in the trap of, I made a million pounds in revenue, but that doesn't really mean much if your margin was 5%. Mm. You know, you're talking, you know, a million pounds in revenue, uh, 50,000 pounds. You're taking on a lot of risk and a lot of work for 50,000 pounds. Mm. You're probably better off just going to do something else. So the way you've got to look at Amazon is if you can get out of the vanity of what's my revenue is mm. actually, how can I make my margins as 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 efficient and as profitable as possible? And a big thing of that, you know, and it's unglamorous to say is returns. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Whoever can manage their returns the best and, and the most efficient, that could be the difference between making, you know, 13% margin at the end of the year or 8% margin at the mm. end of the year. And that makes a big difference overall. Um, so I would always encourage people who are currently selling on Amazon who want to or want to get into it is, you know, get out of the the vanity side of just wanting to generate revenue. Mm. Because at the end of the day, after a year, you might think it's fun to be able to post screenshots and stuff. But if you just feel like you're working for nothing apart from a high revenue, um, it will start to, to, to wear you down very mm. quickly. Do you know what I mean? No, yeah, 100%. And um, yeah, on the, the returns uh, the returns thing, did, I remember you saying that then you have to call the police on some guy who was trying to swindle you, uh, returning a load of items sort of fraudulently. We had a lot of stuff back yeah. then, yeah. I don't, know if it's, I don't know if it's any better, but um, because we were doing FBM, we are obviously in control of the shipment. Mm. So we would use, a lot of the time we'd use DPD. And DPD are quite good because they'll do like, you know, geolocation of where the driver was. Um, they'll take a picture of, you know, when it was, you know, delivered to someone's door, etc. Um, and you'd get all sorts of, you know, weird. I don't think, I don't quite think customers knew how much data we had <laughs> in terms of the photos and, you know, when the items were dropped off, etc. Um, and you'd get all sorts. You'd get, it never arrived. They pull it in my wheelie bin and the wheelie bin's gone. Um my neighbor next door always steals my packages and it's like well if you know that then just go speak to him mm. <laughs> um so yeah we we got into all sorts of real strange situations um and i think that's probably maybe a downside of fbm is there is a bit more admin um just in terms of keeping track of things so the police story i can't actually remember the exact details but i think it was because they were claiming that they returned bear in mind the large large items gym equipment and what they were doing is they were returning it using the the label that that you give them, but they were just putting like tinsel and mistletoe. Oh, yeah. That was it. That in old the, trick in the envelope. Um, so obviously it would show on all of the postal records that this item has been returned. But instead of us getting a ten kilogram box, we're literally getting um, a bit of tinsel in an mm. in an envelope, which was a bit weird. So yeah, we had to we had to knock that one on this head quite quickly. I heard of people uh, doing that trick, but what they would do is they'd put dry ice in the package. Oh, wow. So when they took it to the post office, mm. it would weigh a similar amount to what it should weigh. And then when it came, yep. there would be nothing in the box. It's clever. Yeah. So it's, it's almost really like clever. it fell out the box. It's really clever. Well, I mean, it's not clever. It's fraudulent. Yeah. But don't do that. Yeah, don't I've do never that. done that, <laughs> yeah, by the absolutely. way. I just heard about this. Oh, yeah. I, I've heard about this. Uh, yeah, <laughs> My Gage, best mate did it. Yeah. Gage is going to start every story uh, moving forward <laughs> with. I've heard that. As a friend. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I did not actually do that one, but I did hear about it. But yeah. I think customers really, you know, of course, we, um, I, I, in part of me feels some sympathy. Like we did go into like a really tough time with 
the cost of living crisis, etc. So what you find is that especially when you're dealing in the higher end value sort of um, side of Amazon, where you've got sort of £100 plus items, um, customers are always trying to find a little scheme or an mm. edge to either get the product for free or, um, yeah, just, you know, anything they can do, really. Mm. And a lot of these little, yeah, little tricks probably worked or would have worked if they'd bought from an FBA seller because Amazon are just like, oh, yeah, we'll, we'll refund you or whatever. Um, so maybe they didn't realise it was there was actually a, a human on the other end of yeah, the... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I the think they, they get a bit surprised because a lot of the time people who are used to shopping on Amazon regularly know how Gonco Amazon are at siding with them. Mm. Um, but not knowing that they had bought from us directly as a small business who was in, in charge of the whole process, um, I mean, they realised quite well they can't get away with it with us. Yeah, yeah. You know, I remember back <coughs> in lockdown, uh, you know, sports equipment was really popular in lockdown. People can't get out of the house, whatever. So we're all buying the same stuff in, the, in this group that I'm in. And every time Tunde's store restocks the products, everyone's like, fuck's sake, this guy again. Like, they're all screenshot it. Like, why is he priced so low? Fuck. Like, That's interesting. <laughs> and we just yeah. wait for you to sell out most of the time. Or because you're FBM mm -hmm. and you you weren't really changing the price very often, Yeah, you let us share the buy box with you, which yeah. was nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were never, like, overly dominant. Like, we tried not to be as well. A lot of the time we would... Like, let's say we're selling a product for 199 We know that we want to sell this product for 199 If my target is to sell 20 in a day, I usually know I can maybe do that between 7 and 9 p.m. As soon as it's 9 p.m., I'll put my price back up. Because I think psychologically, if everybody thinks that you always are dominating the buy box, that's when you get price tanking. Because mm. it feels like, well, there's not enough to go around for everybody. Um, this guy's got unlimited stock. I'm going to panic now. Mm. So we would always, in a, in a clever way, not we'd, we'd dominate enough to make a lot of sales, but never to the point of somebody feeling like, I need to undercut this guy. He'd yeah. chuck a few to the hungry kids <coughs> in, the, in the group chat every now and again. Yeah. yeah. So did, did you ever get um, arbitrage sellers buying from you to then flip, do you think? Because you, you were priced significantly lower than a lot of the FBA sellers. Uh, yeah, hundred loads of times. Like we would, we would, because we would see the addresses. So a lot of the time the addresses would be like prep centers, FBA mm. prep centers. Um, so yeah, we never had an issue with that. <coughs> a lot of the time we would get um, other sellers messaging us really saying um, loads of times. Why are you? Why? Why have you priced it in this way? Um, Don't read my messages. <laughs> you know, why? Are, why are you doing this? Let me show you the data. And they'd really try and educate you on like the data. And it's like, <laughs> for somebody who probably has the most stock in the UK, yeah, I think I know the data probably. <laughs> yeah, better yeah. Than, so considering you've got so much stock, yeah, you, you've probably looked at. The I data think I was yourself. like, I think yeah. I've looked at the data, and I think the problem that a lot of um, FBA sellers have is they view things in such a linear way, hmm. which is you're priced at one nine nine. As soon as you sell out, I've, if I priced at two two nine, I'm hmm. gonna start to sell out. But if the customer's not willing to pay two two nine, it's not gonna reach two two nine, right? So they get like this emotional attachment that, and it doesn't work like that because fundamentally all that happens is a listing slows down. Sometimes even the buy bots get suppressed hmm. because it's like you're overly, you know, you're pricing yourself out of sales just because you feel like you've sort of 
been a bit cleverer than everybody else. But ultimately, everybody is up to a point price sensitive. Do you know what I mean? So if you can sell 20 of a product at, at 199 or 10 of a product at 229 you know, we would always prefer to sell more at the slightly lower price mm. because it's, you know, it's about volume and it's about churn at the end of the day. Yeah, 100%. And I, I fell into this trap. Uh, so my first sort of Q4 where I was around this time now selling a load of stuff just before Christmas, mm. I was I was like so fixated on the data. I could see how much stock each seller had and I knew based on the increase in demand, the improvement, <coughs> in the, the improvement in the sales rank, how quick it was selling now. So I'd be like, right, by sort of December the 20th, it's going to reach sort of this price, which yeah. is 20 quid more expensive. And But but I had 50 units of something. Mm-hmm. And yes, I'd, I, and I did get the top, uh, the the top price mm-hmm. of sort of of that entire year, but I only sold one or two of the units, and it's like you're much better off take taking a slightly lower margin, but selling, selling all of volume. your stock, yeah, selling volume. <coughs> but but yeah, yeah, there's definitely a, a a lesson learned there. Because I'm... stock is cash. People don't mm. see it, but stock is cash. So it's like how quickly can you turn your stock back into cash? Mm. That needs to be a consideration. So you get a lot of people who they'll say, right, you know, Christmas is coming up. So in October, I'm going to fill up on a load of stuff and I'm going to let it sit in my warehouse or house until the final week before Christmas. And conceptually, that makes sense. And it's, you know, you want to get the best margin possible. But I look at it and say, well, you could have turned over that stock three times, yeah. if not more, by selling through it, going to get more. So, and I get there's, there is a flip side of if you can't get more of that stock, then yes, you're going to wait for the maximum. Um, but I think in terms of to run a business and not just something that is maybe more so of a hobby, you have to be selling constantly. Do you mm. know what I mean? You can't just sit on stock and sort of twiddle your thumbs and, and pray and hope for the best mm. price. It's just, yeah, it's not the best way to to run an operation. Yeah, and with um, and that's one of the huge benefits to your FBM um, yeah, the tactic as well because obviously, as you mentioned before, if, especially with the volumes that you're doing so you mm. let's say you order 10 grand worth of stock as soon as it lands with you you can list it immediately and it's available but mm-hmm. with if you're shipping that all into fba sometimes it can be three four weeks before amazon checks it in and then you've got that 10 grand tied up and then yeah. you're like oh shit now i need to lower the price on some of my other stuff so that i can pay off this credit card bill and yeah stuff like that. it can get it can get quite messy and since we've started doing fba and we've we've mainly switched to fba in the last sort of six months but that's that's because we've you know moved the business abroad but um that is one thing with fba that is really quite frustrating because Mm. at the end of the day in those four weeks of you waiting for the stock to be available for sale it's like a it's like a gray area you don't know what has what's going to happen to the price so if the price now starts to drop then all of your efforts all of your hard work kind of goes to zero um the benefit of FBM is a, you've got a shorter window of uncertainty, which is once I've got this stock and I can start selling it straight away, it's based off today's price, not off four weeks, yeah. you know, the type, the price in four weeks' time. Yeah, weird. I never thought about that, but yeah, it's very true. And a mm. real advantage of doing FBM, if I wanted to pack parcels all day, FBM sounds like a much better option, actually. Yeah, yeah, but a lot of people don't, and, yeah. and and it's it's completely fair enough. So, to give context, so we we had, like, when we were really um, running at scale in the UK, we had a prep center in um, Newport in Wales, which would deal with sort of, 
high volume stuff that we were doing um, where we could send shipping containers to. And then we had our own little mini um, self-storage facility in the Midlands. Um, and we had a guy there who worked um, four hours a day. So I think if you are going to go to this FBM model, um, you are going to need to, you know, pay a bit more in terms of maybe staff or, or some help. Um, and, and I think that's probably the, the only other consideration you have to mm. make. I think it helps, though, that you're mainly selling higher ticket stuff, or at least you were. Mm. So, you know, if, if I'm selling my 10 quid shampoos, yeah. it's a lot harder for me to want to go and pack that for FBM. Yeah, you have to prep it. And, yeah. yeah. But if, if you've got a 200 quid item that you spoke about, I mean... Mm. I'm happy enough to pack a 200 quid item. And there's not really packing because because we would... So so our niche um, was and, and probably still will be going forward boxes or items that are above 10 kilos. And there's two reasons for that. Um, number one is there's actually... It's, counter, it's counterintuitive, but there's a lot less competition the higher up you go um, in terms of not only price, but also size. Um, because I use an example of a phone case um, you know, a random uni student can put a thousand phone cases, probably give or take in his house somewhere, you know, some in the loft, some in the shed, some under his bed. Um, and he might not be registered for that. And he might not be, um, you know, completely clear on his margins. So a lot of the time when you're dealing with really small products, you're dealing, you're, you're, you're competing against people who don't know it, but they're losing money. Um, and that can be quite dangerous because ultimately you can't really, you know, build a business off that. Um, having larger items just means that you're only really competing against either either people who are buying in very small quantities because they can only store a certain amount or against other businesses who are VAT registered, who do understand their margins. Mm. And it usually allows everybody to, to make a, a, a better price of that listing. Um, and then the second reason is because you don't have to really prep. You just put a label yeah, on top of a label, label. yeah. Um, so it does it does save a lot of time rather than having to, you know, commingle and put loads of stuff in a box and, and that kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah, and, and, and with FBM as well, because I guess, yeah, you um, you obviously you save on the FBA fees, but then you have to obviously pay for the shipping yourself to the customer. So mm -hmm. but it wouldn't really work if you were sort of buying stuff for £10 and selling it for 20 kind of thing. Because yeah. you, you usually, as you say, that attracts more competition because... Mm -hmm. There's, there's, there'll be tons of uh, FBA sellers on it at that price, and also, yeah, with, with the margin simmer, people simply won't buy from the the FBM seller because they'll need to price so much lower to to get the buy box. 100%. Whereas when there's, if you're an FBM seller at 150 quid and the mm. FBA sellers are at 200, there, there's still enough margin for you at 150 to 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 then pay the shipping and make money on 100%. top. So. And I think when you're dealing with larger items in general, not only just in price point but also in size, I think there's an understanding that it's going to take longer to arrive. I don't know mm. why, but I think psychologically, you know, if someone is buying a TV, they're not expecting it to come tomorrow. I don't mm. know why that is. Whereas if you're buying maybe. I don't know, a set of plates. It's probably because you need the set of plates really quick. Mm. Whereas with larger items, I just feel customers are more happy to wait a couple of days if, mm. it, if it needs to be. Um, so the whole prime element of receiving your item the next day becomes less important, I would say, as you deal with a, a certain value of product. Mm. Some real knowledge bombs being dropped here. Like, yeah, yeah some of these things I've, I've never even thought about, <laughs> but they make so much sense. <coughs> I, I think I'm still too lazy to do FBM, but but I may try and uh, 
find someone to hire to do it for me because <laughs> it does sound very, very uh, appealing model to go. Yeah, down. I mean, if I have the the odd high priced heavy item that I don't need to prep, mm. I think I'm going to FBM them. Mm. Yeah, try it. I say try it like it's a huge invention that <laughs> no one else is doing, but. Yeah, give it a go. I think, do you know what it is with Amazon? Amazon is one of those things where you simply have to find what works for you. For some people, it is, I want to do as little work as possible to make an extra five, ten grand for a couple of holidays and to renovate my bathroom. And that's absolutely fine. And I think it's it's important for people to just know what works for them. For others like us, it was, okay, how can we, you know, it's COVID, we're at home, there's nothing better to do. Let's just go for it and see, you know, how big we can take this. Um, so you just have to, you have to sit in whatever section of the industry you want to be. Um, not everybody wants to be the biggest um, seller or to run it as a business. Um, it's hard, you know, operationally, it can be really quite draining. Um, you probably need more skills than you'd expect to get it to a certain level. Um, so, you know, if people just want to do it as a part-time thing you know that that's absolutely fine and it's probably a bit easier that way as well mm-hmm. yeah, yeah it makes sense um so yeah so we'll come on to your uh your venture into fba and going stateside uh, mm-hmm. a bit later but yeah i'm interested in hearing how you actually started uh selling on amazon so i'm assuming you didn't go day one with the storage unit and everything or or did you it was very accidental semi-accidental so what happened was um we it was so it was I think it was just after the first lockdown and uh, Stephen the guy that I work with he was buying a product I won't say what it is because you know it's it's the main product we were selling at that time but he was basically buying a product and then he went back onto Amazon a few weeks later to return it and he noticed that the price had ticked up a bit quite quite significantly um and I had tested around with FBA in 2018. I was trying to sell, X- I was just, I didn't really know what I was doing, but I had a friend and he was selling Xbox games. So I just went to Argos and started buying Xbox games. And then he said to me, he said, oh, take a look at this. You know, a week ago it was this price. Uh, now it's this price. And I remember I knew, because we never done any Amazon course, but I knew from a couple of years ago about Keeper and how to sort of read graphs and stuff. So we just started reading keeper graphs of lots of different products. And we started to see that, especially because of COVID and, you know, shipping became, you know, a lot more expensive. There were certain products that were just trending upwards in terms of price. Um, So we actually started by buying products off Amazon European marketplaces. Mm -hmm. Um, This was just before Brexit had sort of gone into effect. And then we would sell them on Amazon UK. So we would buy, let's say you, there was a product for 80 euros on Amazon Italy, but because the UK were desperate for that product or, you know, th- there was just more demand for it locally, we could buy it off Amazon um, Italy, ship it to our home addresses and then resell it on Amazon UK. And honestly, I think when I got into it, it was just a view of it's summer, um, there's not a lot else to do. You know, we've just come out of a lockdown if I can make a couple grand doing this in a in a month or two, I was like, you know, it's it's worth my time. And then it just expanded from there. Mm. You know, I work with someone who's very aggressive in terms of his mindset around, well, if it's going to work, let's take it all the way. Mm. Not just 
take a bit out of it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, you want um, the whole pie. Yeah, basically, it's like, if this pie is going to be here, we, why not eat it? Do you know what I mean? Um, so that's his mindset. I'm probably on, more on the um, conservative side, actually. I'm like, it's a bit of a risk. and But I think because of that, we sort of meet in the middle. And we usually come to quite a sensible way to grow mm. without taking ludicrous crazy risks basically so the dynamic works quite well um in terms of how we made the step over into our fulfillment it was because we it was actually one of the delivery drivers who was bringing some stock he said you know he basically was like you're clearly running a business like i would prefer to deliver to a business because they've got trolleys mm. and i don't have to carry these heavy boxes into your house da, 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 da. so that's when we rented a, a storage facility and then we outgrew that and then we you started using this prep center basically mm. no that's really cool um <coughs> so so i guess so so it sounds like you kind of but apart from your little uh mingle in the xbox games back in in 2018 or whatever mm -hmm. it was you sort of went in fully after doing the the amazon europe to, to uk stuff you then started contacting the brand directly to, to get more stuff is that right? yeah so that happened probably six seven months in mm -hmm. where we were doing as much as we could sort of buying from Amazon or buying from, we still were buying from retailers at the time. Um, and again, it was just that view of, if we've got 10 of these water bottles and they sell really well, what if we had a thousand? Hmm. And then you sit there and you think, yeah, what if we had a thousand? <laughs> you know what I mean? What if we had 10,000? <laughs> yeah, you start to think, because you can see all of the data, you know. Hmm. Keeper and Helium 10 will show you that, you know, this is selling 50, 60, 70 a day. And you start to think, well, what's that, you know, over 90 days, as an example, you, you think this is quite popular. Um, <coughs> so from there, we started contacting brands, we started contacting suppliers saying, you know, how can we get this product in, in a wider um, volume? And a lot of people are quite scared to do that because they view it as it's a bit of imposter syndrome, like who am I to be mm. contacting them? Um, but from experience, you learn that a lot of these brands, they just want to get rid of stock at the end of the day. And if they can get rid of as much of it as possible to one or two people, it makes their life 10 times easier than having to, you know, sell small volumes to little retailers throughout the country. Do you know mm. what I mean? No, so absolutely. It's, it's working smart and not hard on their part because if they've got 10,000 units they need to sell, if someone wants to buy 5,000 of those, it means that they yeah, do half the amount of work. 100%. It's, it's, it's exactly that. You know, we are allowing them to sell more of their stock at, um, you know, with less work yeah. in, in, in essence. And then they'll start contacting you saying, oh, we've got this, we've got that. Do you want it? Um, and it just sort of grows from there. Mm. That's in contrast to the sort of Karens in retail stores that we experience, where it's like, oh no, you can only have two of these or only three. It's like, <laughs> yeah. we're trying to give you money. Like we're, we, we want this product, you're selling it for that amount. Why not just give it to us? But I guess when you go direct to the source, mm -hmm. you're meeting with the, the, the people who actually want to shift the stock. Yeah, and that's their, that's their job at the end of the day. You know, a lot of these guys are, you know, they're like area sales managers and their job is to sell stock at the end of the day. So that's that's all they're there to do. I think when you're dealing with sort of retail arbitrage, I can get I get the appeal of using it to get started. Um, but it becomes a grind after a while, you know, mm. because they'll start to recognize you in the stores as who's this person who constantly comes in to buy, you know, I don't know, hair dryers as an mm. example. Um, it so, is, yeah. It's like Gage being blacklisted from every McDonald's now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, I'm never going to live that one down. I think. No, I, I wish you guys would stop mentioning. I wish I'd never hear about McDonald's <laughs> ever TikTok, again. He's TikTok famous. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Fuck. Uh, so, Tunde, mm-hmm. I uh, took your course mm-hmm. on how to do what you do. In uh, partnership with Ben. In yes. partnership yeah. with Ben. Probably, what, like eight, 18, 18 months, months ago? ago? Yeah. I think summer 2022. Yeah. So I actually paid, guys. I did not get in for free. I paid. And I thought, yeah, let's have a good go at this. So, you know, I learn all the steps and I'm, you know, trying to reach out to brands and whatever. Mm-hmm. Often, after nine months of pestering this guy, yep. I finally get a reply. Amazing. So I'm like, I'm setting things up with him. And I get my first order in, mm-hmm. and obviously I was getting shampoos, conditioners, hair care products. Mm. I was getting them for three pounds each, and they were selling on Amazon for twenty three pounds, which is a good result. Yes, crazy margin, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I got one batch in, sold through everything, and I go to order my second batch, and I realize I can't list the products on Amazon anymore. Oh no! Oh, and I was the reason everyone because people would sell this brand they would get it from you know another another wholesale not at my price yep. but at, at a decent <coughs> price and i got everyone banned from the brand so they gated it <laughs> yeah uh, yeah yeah but oh, you wow. can't even request to ungate it's like a non-available oh, product not, not available wow. yes for every single and people there was a very popular brand <laughs> i stopped that's everyone pretty, that's from pretty aggressive yeah, yeah 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 so i you know i spoke to the guy and he was like oh you know there was lots of people on the list not specifically me because mm. there were lots of other people on the listing mm-hmm. uh, but, but they were presumably paying sort of a tenner for it or whatever yes yeah, yeah, yeah. they were they were paying 12 pounds while i was getting it for three so and the brand was on the listing mm-hmm. but i spoke to him beforehand and he was like yeah it's fine if you sell on amazon mm-hmm. Because uh, I was doing things they weren't doing, like selling them as shampoo and conditioner bundles, or okay. so I I was doing weird things on listings they weren't on. Yeah. So they didn't mind. Uh, but then you know a bunch of people joined the listings, <laughs> locked it off, and I was like, oh, can I you know get get unrestricted for the brand, please? And the guy was like, oh, you know I can't do it at the moment. Yeah. But potentially in the future, who knows? Maybe I'm going to keep pestering him every month. And if I get allowed back on the listings, it's going to be absolutely massive. Mm. You might get back onto it. I think a lot of these things sometimes is just timing. Yeah. Um, yeah. You might have just annoyed the wrong person, but they, <laughs> they, they might leave the company. You just never mm. know. Yeah. But I, I guess that's, it makes it so important to make sure you've got a really good relationship with the brand or like know the right person or, or, or whatever. But that's all, all part of the fun. Um, <coughs> But yeah, wholesale mastery were, was fun, wasn't it? So yeah, did you? In, so this was a, a course uh, run by by <coughs> and and, and his Sorry. business partner. No mm. worries, it sound like you're suffering there a little bit. No, it's fine, it's fine. We'll get um, through it. Yeah, nice one. Um, so yeah, wholesale mastery were, was fun though. Did, did you enjoy sort of taking people through through your journey and giving them? Yeah, it was advice? good. To be fair, I think where we start, we we never started the business to then end up training people. Um, to be honest, we never really started it to get as big as it did, but it was quite interesting then. Because I think you, <coughs> sorry, your group was the first one where we actually started to meet other sellers because we were very much just head down. This is quite simple conceptually. We didn't really need to network or mingle with other sellers. Um, so then coming back to share that knowledge, I think we done like a like a presentation maybe April 2022. And people got benefit from it. It was like, wow, like that's quite interesting because we never started it with a view to end up in that position or really to um, 
yeah start training other people i, I remember doing that q a sorry and and like you guys had brought a PowerPoint presentation <laughs> to the ATA Q&A. <coughs> and usually our Q&As are, you know, very relaxed and whatever. But mm. you guys had it properly presented. Like, you guys meant business. Yeah, it was unbelievable. It was also, I think it's our most well-attended Q&A today because everyone, because online arbitrage and retail arbitrage, what we teach in, in ATA is kind of, often the stepping stone towards going to to, to wholesale or mm-hmm. private label or things like that so a lot of people were interested made a few grand or whatever but using our methods and then mm-hmm. wanted to see how to take it to the next level and i think yeah we had an unbelievable uh, amount of people join it yeah no it was good the powerpoint was done in like a couple hours one night basically <laughs> it's a couple well, more hours we anyone has yeah. ever spent <clears throat> We didn't want to turn up without being able to sort of show visually like what we had done, because mm. um, I think it puts puts in, things into context a bit more. Um, but yeah, no, it was good. It was good. We had we, we enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, the potential wholesale mastery rerun twenty twenty four. Potentially, although we're not massive wholesalers anymore. Mm. So we're we're we're, we're now. Um, We've now emigrated, you could say. Yeah, you've uh, you've run off to the USA. <laughs> yeah, we emigrated to the USA, so we um, we took a break. So we had like a crazy two and a half year run, and then we took a break um, just because you know it was a lot of work. So that was probably like six months. We did we didn't really do much Amazon related, um, and then we came back to it and we thought, well. <coughs> The UK is in a bit of a different place. I think the cost of living crisis was really biting. Um, we always liked to sell sort of those £100 plus items. And just from the data we were seeing, well, the market's still there, but it's slowing slightly. Um, so why don't we look at the US market, which America's very different. They seem to just spend through whatever economic issue they're going through, really. Um, so, yeah, we set up an LLC, it took a long, long time. Um, and we haven't fully built up the momentum yet in the US at all, um, but we're very confident that we'll we'll get to that. And, and it, was, it was Gage who helped you get it set up, right, I believe? Yeah, we had, Helped a little yeah, bit. We, a bit, yeah, bits here and there. We had a lot of um, conversations. We used your repricer as well, which was good. So w- is it online arbitrage you're doing in the USA? Yeah, so we started off doing online arbitrage. Um <coughs> with a view to then apply the same model and go into wholesale. Mm-hmm. I would always recommend that, you know, whenever you're moving to a new market or just starting Amazon in general, start with arbitrage because you can take many sort of risks. You're not committing to a product that you don't have much experience with. You haven't seen how much volume it sells. You haven't seen what the returns are like. So we just started with really small basic arbitrage. And then once we sort of find our niche again and we, we land on sort of products and a market that we like then we'll just go the wholesale route mm. yeah no that sounds sounds like the way and uh would, would that be so people might be listening to this who aren't selling on amazon yet and mm-hmm. want to get started and mm-hmm. like oh yeah don't really fancy ben and gage's way of uh going wide and not deep and buying yeah. lo- li- a little amounts of lots of different items i yeah. want to go straight in would you recommend <coughs> starting with the online arbitrage uh i would always that? recommend starting with ben and gage's way um because you can't go into something with a view to dominate in certain SKUs without having tested first, right? Because you'll risk you're gonna risk too much too much capital. Unless you're going into Amazon with hundreds of thousands behind you or like an investor which 
99% of people aren't, I would always recommend start with arbitrage. I think the, the, the difference is then after six months, after 12 months of arbitrage, do you now stay as arbitrage or do you say, right, the profits that I've accumulated over the last six 12 months am I going to throw that into wholesale do you know what I mean it just depends whether you everyone needs to start down the path and then you decide whether you want to go left or go right basically mm. um so yeah you have to start with arbitrage because taking little small bets is not going to bankrupt you at the end of the day whereas if you say right I'm going to go and sell you know the most microphones in the UK and you go and buy 10,000 microphones and you can't sell them it's going to be problematic do you know what I mean whereas if you bought 10 and you you test it and you see you know, then you can start to slowly scale from there. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I, but you did sort of, I think it was over 2 million in sales um, on on Amazon alone, mm-hmm. uh, sort of from 2020 through 2021. 2022, yeah, maybe, yeah. Probably a bit more than that, but yeah, 2 million in revenue. Plus. But, but, but in terms of the number of different items or different SKUs, it's probably only a handful, right? No more than 20. Hmm. Yeah, no more than 20 SKUs. Um, don't no, don't get me wrong in terms of so you know like Pareto's principle. The so 80, 20, 80, yeah. yeah, 80-20. So a lot of the time, eighty percent of our revenue would come from a very small handful of SKUs and then twenty percent would come from a lot that we were testing, right? Because we'll test stuff and if it's not selling, you know, the way we like or we're getting too many returns, or there's just something else about the listing we don't like in terms of maybe the brand are selling it themselves or whatever it may be we'll just knock it on its head. Do you know what I mean? And then we'll go and scale up on the ones that, that are working well for us, basically. Mm. Yeah, that completely completely makes sense. Um, so yeah, so Gage, are you, uh, you gonna continue going down your wholesale route uh, despite meeting a bit of a blocker? You know, I'm gonna keep messaging the guy. Uh, I think you should. I, I think, to be honest, I started down the wrong niche. I think there was too much barrier to entry on my niche of kind of like hair care. Mm -hmm. So, you know, people want to see qualifications and and other stuff like that. Whereas, you know, I I think if I was to do it again, which I think there's a high probability I will, Mm. especially got some time after Christmas, no one's working, uh, might send out a few emails using the templates I got from the course. That's actually how I got the reply. Um, to to kind of a different niche and i'll i'll put a lot of thought into that yeah because i you know i thought hair care because oh like fuck it why not like i put almost no thought into why mm. just that i know there's good margins on stuff like that mm-hmm. oh yeah. there, there's good margins on anything <laughs> it all depends on the price you get it yeah out. i mean it needs to be usually it's, it's it helps if it's a product that you know and can talk to a supplier about and not seem like you're completely blagging. Yeah, so so Gage, uh, <coughs> you don't strike me as someone who is that knowledgeable. I'm just a professional market. blagger, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's one thing. But also, what I would say is, I think what you guys done, what you guys have done, is very good because you haven't based your whole existence on I'm gonna be an Amazon business. You know, you've taken that first couple of years' experience of selling on Amazon. And then you've branched out into sort of other little areas within the ecosystem. Mm. And I think that's really good because ultimately for years to come, you don't want to be completely reliant on your own um, Amazon account and, and the direction of that. Mm. So I think even if somebody's watching this and they're thinking, oh, well, I want to do Amazon, but I don't see myself 
doing it forever. That's completely understandable. I don't think I'll be doing it forever either. But it is a it is a good gateway into maybe now starting your own brand or going down, you know, what you guys have done with your prep center or your community. So it's a good gateway business into other things mm. if you want it to be that. Um, you don't just have to say, right, I'm going to sit on Keeper for the next 15 <laughs> yeah. years. I don't think there's a lot of people who are that that passionate about it. Do you know what I mean? But it can open up a lot of other doors and other avenues. Lots of people tend to ask in like our Q&As, you know, where do you think Amazon's going to be in five years or do you think it's still going to be around? But always like, does it really matter? It's irrelevant to yeah. a degree. Just think, yeah. do what you do, right? Yeah, make it work for you in the now. Um, never be so over leveraged in terms of the amount of stock that you have or the amount of stock that you have in, FBA, in the FBA warehouse where it's deeply uncomfortable um and just roll with it do you know what i mean nobody knows where amazon will be in five years we probably it probably will still exist whether the exact business model that we're running right now will be applicable in five years is is up for debate but one thing that is for sure is that it can open up so many other doors it's mm. a good the way i would describe amazon is this is a good business to start when you haven't run a business before and then use that to now go and start other things. Do you know what I mean? Whether that's your own private label business or your prep center. You even see some people um, who will start an Amazon business, understand the little different nuances and, and issues with it. And then they'll go and start their own SaaS or they'll go and start their own little tech platform to help Amazon sellers. So there's so many different things that you can sort of start to do and branch out once you've got those first couple of years behind you. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to have to set a reminder for, for Christmas 2028 to see if Amazon's still around and then look back to this episode, I think. I think I'll be in America. We can do a, we can do a Zoom, yeah, what yeah, do you yeah. call it? A Zoom, a Zoom, a no, Zoom that's episode. Fine. We'll, we'll fly you over. <laughs> um, God, the ad revenue must be paying. I'm not seeing a cent of that, guys. <laughs> First class. Yeah, we've flown you back from the Philippines just, just for this. Um, but yeah, no, and with the people you meet along the way, it's, it's always more fun. Cause so, but when I started doing Amazon, I was purely doing it on my own. Mm -hmm. I left my job and I was like, oh, this is brilliant. But then I was like, actually, this is like quite isolating. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. And, and, and now, obviously, we're, with Gage, we've got, we've got the group, we've got the prep center, et cetera. And we've mm -hmm. got very different skills. I think Gage and I, I'm sure the, the listeners <laughs> will say we're, we're both very different. But we, yeah, I think we... we we, we, we make a good team and you mentioned with yourself and Stephen as well you've got very yeah. different skills because you don't want to go into business with someone who's your clone right <clears throat> you need different skills you need different ways of looking at things because ultimately um you know you you need to be able to to bring different things to the table because that's how the business is going to grow and that's also how you're not going to find yourself leading yourself down a blind alley do you know what I mean? Having that person to say, what do you think of this? You know, let's talk about this. I think it really helps just in any business in general, um, being accountable to someone as well. Um, because I can, I, I look at our business and, and if it was just me, I could have seen, I, I would have, I can see the mistakes I would have made. And if it was just him, I can also see the mistakes he would have made mm. because you can sort of foresee that someone's mindset is maybe not picking up a certain issue. Um, and I think it's good to be able to come together and, and work through issues, basically. Mm. And and it's just more fun doing it with someone else, or, or at least I find that it's like if you um, <coughs> if you create if you create a business on your own and mm. you make loads of money, but it's in a niche where sort of like for yourself, you you, you can't give away exactly what you're doing because mm -hmm. obviously you've got 
like non-disclosure agreements and stuff and you can't give away who your contacts are and stuff like mm. you'll have big wins but no one to actually celebrate them with and it's like well what's the point in even doing it then yeah 100 percent, 100 percent. i feel like um amazon in general to be honest is not the most glamorous business to run in terms of if you're just sat there like you said with your laptop i see a lot of um people who talk about it and they say well it's a good way to go and travel the world but not everybody wants to travel the yeah. world or not everybody has that desire so if you're not going to travel and be this nomad who works from their laptop, just working from your laptop um, by yourself can get quite boring, to be mm. fair. And it's quite an efficient business in the sense of it's probably the easiest business to get to a million pounds a year revenue with as few staff as 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 anything I've ever seen. Do you know what I mean? And a lot of service-based businesses to get to a million of revenue, you might need five, six, seven staff members. With Amazon, you can usually do that by yourself or with just a VA. Um, and of course, revenue is not profit. We know that, you know, a good Amazon seller might make 15% on their on their revenue. But either way, um, yeah, because of the way it runs, it almost runs for you at times because you don't need staff. You can just spend so much time alone. So mm. it's good to get around people who, who do similar things. Mm, absolutely. Cool. Uh, anything to add, Gage? I just have a funny return story I'd like to end it on. Yeah, go, go for, for it. it. So not Amazon, but in my last business where we used to sell data plans. So mm. like, you know, your phone, let's say you've got two gigs of data. When you use the two gigs, you've got to buy more. Mm. So we were selling this guy three gigs of data. He opens a ticket and he goes, you know, what the hell? I haven't used my three gigs, but it's gone. Like yeah. I haven't got any data left. So we can, you know, look up where you use your data. Mm. We look it up and it's just three gigabytes of porn. Oh, right. <laughs> so I screenshot it. I send it to him and he goes and he just goes, oh, sorry. And just closes the ticket. Really? That was the whole. That's like the best. It's pretty. Yeah. Yeah. The it's best ticket I've ever answered in my life. Wow. Uh, yeah. That's interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just a fun note to end it on. Yeah. There's there's the next uh, one million plus TikTok video. Sort of <laughs> no, we'll see. So. Um, so, yeah. So I think we'll, we'll wrap it up there then, chaps. So, yeah. Thanks so much for joining us today. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Especially feeling unwell as well. No problem. No problem. Good to be here. And like I said, happy to do a part two when um, when all of this is cleared up. Yeah, the, absolutely. The knowledge you've dropped. Invaluable. Definitely. Glad to hear it. Yeah. So if anyone wants to reach out to you, is there are you on just social media? I'm sure we can link somewhere. Yeah, we'll, we'll put links to today's socials in the description below. But yeah, thanks for joining us for the latest episode of All Things Podcast and catch you on the next episode. Bye.